Jesus tells five stories the last week of his life. That last week that began with the crowd singing Hosanna, that last week that ended with the same crowd shouting, crucify, what was in those stories? He tells five stories the last week of his life. This is the third. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent the servants to call those who'd been invited to the wedding, but they would not come. He sent more servants saying, tell those who are invited to the wedding, the the dinner is prepared. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. And those who remained seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops destroying those murderers and burning the city. Then he said to his servants, those who were invited to the wedding were not worthy. Now go into the main streets and call everyone you find. So they went out into the streets and everyone they found they called, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there without a wedding robe. The king said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. The king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Matthew 22, 1 through 14. If you want to find it in a Bible near you, we've got work to do with this story. Story forces us to face something about God and deal with something in each of our own selves. Story makes us face something about God. What do you think of when you think of God? God. God who made the world with a word, who said, let there be light, and the light had no choice but to shine. God who preserves one little family out of all the families with a boat and a dove and a man named Noah. God who shows up to Abram and says, let's bless the world. God who calls a stuttering man named Moses to be the spokesperson for freedom. God, who gave Ruth a home and Esther a crown and Hannah a boy. God, who in the fullness of time sends his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to forgive and rise from the dead to redeem you and me and all of life. God, just like God. How this story makes us face some things about God Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Just like God, a wedding banquet, a feast, the table is set, you're invited, come on in. 
Not everybody wants to show up for some reason I can't quite understand, but it doesn't stop God. God's going to throw a party. God, go anywhere. Go find them all. Run to the streets. Go into the hills. Invite them all. The wedding hall is filled with guests. God's going to throw a party. God's going to feast just like God. There's some overtones in this story to the prodigal son story, if you remember that one. The prodigal son who squandered his father's inheritance with booze and women, the kind of life that would make people magazine blush. He's at his wit's end. He finally returns home to his father. His father sees him. He he runs to him and he embraces him and he throws a party for him. In that prodigal son story, he kills the fatted calf. Sounds like this wedding banquet story. My fatted calves are killed. He throws a big old feast for the son. There's a big old feast at this wedding banquet. The prodigal son story, the older brother doesn't want to come into the the party, or at least we're not sure if he does, in the wedding banquet story, those who were initially invited didn't want to show up. Do you see the relationship? There's, there is an inversion, though. The prodigal son story, the brother doesn't want to come in because of the lavish generosity of the father. It just doesn't make sense to him. In this story, the lavish generosity of the king is inspired by those who don't want to come. But God's not going to be stopped. God throws the party anyway. I love this line. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, until the wedding banquet was filled with guests, just like God. God, lavish with goodness. God, overflowing with generosity. God's mercy knows no ends. It says both good and bad were invited to the wedding banquet. How generous, just like God anyone from anywhere, everyone from everywhere. There's a seat at the table. It's just like God. Back on Whidbey Island, when we lived there, it was a Navy town, active sailors coming and going all the time. You get the 18-year-old just out of high school trying to get a little discipline in his life, and the 35-year-old heading off, next station off at the Pentagon. It's such a dynamic community. Uh, There was one sailor I remember I don't know all of the details of his story. I just know his wife would come to the church with their kids. Uh, he, he wouldn't come. Something, I don't know, something about his own past. He was afraid to confront maybe something about the church he didn't trust, probably something about God he wasn't sure about. His wife kept, kept cajoling, kept inviting, kept putting pressure on him to come. And finally, he just conceded for the sake of the marriage, I'll just go to church. It wasn't as bad as he thought. The church wasn't as weird as he thought. He started hearing about God, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love. He, I must have preached a sermon where I said something like, you have a seat at the table. It struck a chord in his spirit. He went home. He took a walk on the beach, which is hard not to do when you live on an island, found a piece of driftwood. He took it, which I think is illegal, and he carved into that piece of driftwood, you have a seat at the table. And he gave it to me as a gift. You have a seat at the table, God just like God. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stay there. What do you do with this story? The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. God? Just like God? Bible scholars, the They've tried to minimize the crushing blow of that 
that line by suggesting it was actually written decades after Matthew had originally written his gospel, after Rome had been destroyed. I guess we can maybe work with that, but it doesn't take away these lines. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to those attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. God? Just like God? This lavish, extravagant, kindness and mercy of God. Anyone from anywhere, everyone from everywhere, you have a seat at the table, cannot reduce God to a feckless divine who has nothing more than just making sure you feel okay about yourself on his mind. I like the way N.T. Wright puts it. We want to hear a nice story about God throwing the party open to everyone. We want, as people now fashionably say, to be inclusive to let everyone in. We don't want to know about judgment on the wicked or about demanding standards of holiness or about weeping and gnashing of teeth. The great deep mystery of God's forgiveness isn't the same as saying that whatever we do isn't really important because it'll all work out somehow. This lavish, extravagant generosity of God can't reduce God to a spineless divine who just wants to condone all all your behaviors and bless all your actions. God has so much more in mind. Uh, And he write again, his love reached them where they were, but his love refused to let them stay as they were. Love wants the best for the beloved. Their lives were transformed, healed, changed. God just like God. Remember Jesus, woman caught in adultery, he kneels, I'm imagining, he puts his arm on his shoulder and says, neither do I condemn you. God, just like God. Now don't do it anymore. God, just like God. Something in this story we have to face about God. Now something we have to deal with about ourselves. Anyone from anywhere. Everyone from everywhere, which would, by my count, include you. There is nothing you've ever done that is too big to keep you from this table. There's nothing you've ever said that keeps you from hearing the word of grace. There's no past, whatever it includes, that has the power to keep you from God's good future for you, which is the point. God has a good future in mind for you. God not wanting to leave you undressed, ill-equipped, unprepared for the wedding banquet he will throw longs for us to become the people he always wanted us to be and sends his spirit to make us that way. Anyone from anywhere, everyone from everywhere is not permission to go on doing all the things we always wanted to do anyway. This is why the Apostle Paul says things like, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. He wants so much more for us. That's why the Bible says things like, put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, so much more for us. This is why the Bible says, I've transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, so much more for us. 
not wanting to leave us as we are, but make us who he intended us to be, both good and bad invited at the table, not so that we could remain just good or leave us just bad, but make us all new. We gotta face in our own selves what needs to change, what needs to be transformed, changed, healed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We need to face in our own selves what needs to change, what needs to be transformed. You remember way back in the beginning, God makes the world and everything in it. God sees everything he makes, and he's like, that is so good. But something bad, sad, tragic, awful really happens. Disobedience enters God's good created order, and the world is spiraling in chaos ever since, broken by sin, ravaged by sadness. But God won't leave us wallowing in the sadness. God won't leave us broken in the pain. The the sin consequences that wreak their havoc on our lives are not just our inability to make better decisions. It's not just a few moments of weakness, and if we had a better night's sleep, we would have made a wiser choice. Sin is deep. The fall runs deep. It it, it infects our instincts and and co-ops our desires. But God's not willing to leave us there. God's not willing to leave us in our broken, sad, twisted reality. But rather, he sends his son to die for the forgiveness of our sins, to rise from the dead, to redeem our lives, and sends the spirit to be with us every day to complete the work he already began in us so that we could become the people he wants us to be. And we participate in God's redeeming work in our lives When we say no to sin and we live lives pleasing to God, God is not interested in leaving you as you are. There's so much more in mind for you. That's how good God's grace is. Uh, You've probably heard over the last few weeks of that, the events down in Asbury University, college, whatever it is, down in Wilmore, Kentucky, small town with two flashing lights and one college. Uh, There was a little chapel service, required chapel for a smallish number of students hosted by a volunteer soccer coach, I guess, that turned into 50 estimates of 70,000 people over worshiping over 250 hours nonstop. Can you imagine that? Think about the emails I'd get. Think about the parking problems we'd have. I don't know what you think about it. I'm not here to argue with you at all. But I, I was interested, I was curious. The president of Asbury, in an interview, reflected on the circumstances that gave way to the events that they were experiencing. This is the president of Asbury, President Brown is his name. Young adults have had a multi year cocktail of really difficult things that they've had to process. They've had political polarization. They've had economic uncertainty. We've seen social unrest. We've seen racial injustice, global wars. And then in the midst of that, we had a global pandemic, he said. All of this is exacerbated by phones and social media, which creates this hyper-awareness of unsettling phenomenon and the reinforcement of our own ideological echo chambers. There's a hunger for something more. And I think that hunger is acutely felt by younger generations. They strongly value authenticity. They want something genuine. They want something real. And they want that from their church. And they want that from their Christian institutions as well. 
I found that interesting. A multi-year cocktail of really difficult things. And it's not just political polarization, and it's not just social unrest, and it's not just a virus that wreaked havoc on all of our lives. It's the consequences of Genesis 3 playing themselves out over and over on repeat like a bad commercial. Over and over, it affects our lives, and we're hungry for something more, longing for something more. If you're hungry for something more, of course you are. God wants something more. If you're exhausted by the realities of our world and hungry for something more, of course you are. God wants so much more. If you're sick and tired of being stuck in the same patterns of brokenness and sin and you don't know what else to do, you're hungry for something more, of course you are. God wants something more. If you're broken and done with the devastated divisions that exist in the relationships closest to you and you're longing for something more, of course you are. God wants so much more. It's God's heart for us, not to leave us as we are, but make us as he wants us to be, and we participate. So love your enemy and pray for those who hurt you, he said. Turn the other cheek, he commands. Don't judge, he says. Enter through the narrow gate. Of course, there's something so much more. You've heard that metaphor that C.S. Lewis uses about the cottage. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing on a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. There's something about us in the story we have to face. God wants so much more. So here's what I want to do. The table is set. Maybe you've got wine and bread crackers and juice. The table is set. There's a seat for you at the table. Anyone from anywhere, everyone from everywhere, I want you to consider coming to the table. And then I want, at the table, I want, I want, I want you to go back to be changed, transformed, not as you were. So on the way, I'm going I'm to give you the story again. I want you to listen to the story again. While you take some time to think about what in your life needs to change, what needs to be transformed by the stunning grace of God. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent the servants to call those who'd been invited to the wedding, but they wouldn't come. He sent more servants, saying, tell those who've been invited to the wedding, the dinner is prepared. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And they went away, one to his farm, another to his business. Those who stayed seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroying those murderers and burning the city. He said to his servants, 
Those who were invited to the wedding are not worthy. Therefore, go into the main streets and call everyone you find. And they went into the streets, and everyone they found, they called both good and bad until the wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there not wearing a wedding robe. The king said, friend, how how did you get in without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you have a seat at the table.